0: This is the Power of Podcast, show 38.
1: So we got in trouble all the time because we were like, what if, and he was like, yeah, let's do it, you know? So we needed to just try things, we needed to experiment, experiment with the learning, and
2: explore, feel the learning, right? Like explore, what, about, what did we do this, you know? So that's the way we try to teach, the way that we want to enhance our students, empower them to learn in that way, empower them to have that curiosity that we, we had in the past.
0: Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. What's up, everyone? This is Ken Ehrman, host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Mr. Matt, one-of-a-kind Rogers. Matt, what's going on?
3: Buddy, I am doing. I don't know if I'm doing well. I don't know if I'm doing poorly, but I'm doing. We're here. It is a Tuesday night after a long weekend. Today felt like the first day of school, even though we're almost 10 days in. Um, I guess the, the word of the week is regression and how do we pick up the pieces and make tomorrow better?
0: Yeah, it's always tough after. So, uh, Pennsylvania was hit by a a pretty big hurricane, not, you know, just a lot of flash flooding, not nearly as, as bad as where it, you know, initially hits the coast and some of the tropical islands and stuff, but a lot of school districts in Pennsylvania missed missed school. And then it was paired with Labor Day weekend. So, we kind of already had a huge break uh, after the first week of school. So so definitely um, in those moments, you kind of have to reestablish routines. And, and when it's the beginning of the year, like you said, you almost felt like you were starting over over from a routine and an, and an instructional standpoint. But um, we're here, like you said, we had a blast. We had an awesome interview tonight. Uh, we, we interviewed the, the brand known as the E-Twins, uh, they are identical twins. They are amazing educators, uh, super passionate, a lot of fun. Uh, their names are Alberto and and Mario, and, and we just had a blast tonight. I mean, honestly, our recording went a little bit longer than normal. Not not too bad, uh, but I felt like I just had to totally cut it off because it easily could have gone on for, for two or three hours considering we talked to them for a good amount of time before, and we continued the conversation well after the recording ended. So Matt, what what was it about them that you just felt connected immediately and you just didn't want the conversation to end?
3: So I think that they – we've had some guests on, many of our guests that represent education um, and kind of all of their efforts represent – good for education. But these guys really represented kind of going after what you really want. What is your priority? Why did you get into education? You'll hear in a little bit that they moved to the States from another country, had to learn everything from brand new, but their passion was to make education as great as possible. And they're doing incredible things. They're bringing their own knowledge, but um, they are far from one trick ponies, or I guess two trick ponies uh, with the two of them. Um, it's an incredible partnership, and it's just—it's crazy how they came to be, but are so laser focused on being the best for kids and creating an incredible environment. That honestly, if I had a, had kids right now, I would be moving to. Utah to try and have my kids go through their school because it's just an unbelievable situation they have set up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, Matt, not being one trick ponies, you know, if you, if you look at their social media um, and what they're connected in, it's, it's uh, heavily connected to technology. They're, they're involved with ISTE a great deal. And I don't really, th- I don't think we talked about technology at all really with them. We talked about social emotional learning. We talked about, like you said, the school they teach in, they teach in an immersion school where students are learning Spanish and speaking Spanish all day. And it's students where their native language is English. And so, you know, they talk about service projects and just all of these different things that they're doing in their classroom that really create those real world experiences for students that motivate them to ask questions, take risks, make mistakes they they talk about so many important things in the way they're instructing their students that really creates the best learning experience possible and they they talked a lot about this um, and i was thinking of it as we were recording they talk a lot about their students making mistakes and and solving problems and the fact that they're in this immersion school from kindergarten they're solving problems every five seconds over and over again every year through the through that time and it allows them to then approach science and math and and their core content subjects from a different perspective where they can solve problems and it it made me think back to our conversation uh with kyle nemus when we were talking about udl and and the ability to make decisions and and matt you and i have talked about this where i would want to find ways to force my students to make as many decisions as they possibly could in a day because I wanted them to be prepared to be in a more choice-based student-centered learning experience where they had to make choices to maximize their learning potential. And so, you know, they talk about how the language kind of infuses that problem-solving mindset, but how it kind of permeates throughout everything that they, they do with students. Uh, so before we jump into that interview, do you want to add anything
3: else or should we just bring these guys in? I just want to give credit to them. You know, we, we meet incredible educators, and we've heard one, two, three maybe themes of what they specialize in. And just the conversation tells you that they are just expert educators. Everything that is related to high-quality instruction, they soak up. So um, more than any guest... Beyond this interview, follow them because they are just uh, we just kept on bringing up topic of conversation, as Ken was kind of alluding to. And they gave elite, high quality, like textbook definitions of a modern educator, what they need to know and understand. You're in for a treat. And and, uh, it was just an awesome interview.
0: Absolutely. So without any further delay, let's bring in the E-Twins, Mario and Alberto. All right, Mario and Alberto Ahereth, welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. We are super excited to have you here with us tonight. How you guys doing?
2: Good. We are really well. Excited to be here.
1: Doing well.
0: Yep. Excellent. So this is a first time for Matt and I. We have uh, we have two guests on with on with us at the same time. Um, so why don't you guys officially introduce yourselves? Uh, just tell us, you know, kind of a snapshot of what your career and education has looked like so far. Uh, in your career I guess I repeated myself and where you're coming from
1: well it's it's kind of complicated but like we are originally from Spain and we did our uh, you know education degree back in Spain and then after graduating from our undergrad uh, we moved to Utah you know with a scholarship to do um, our internship you know so we came here to Utah to do just an internship and after that we got hired you know Uh, So like uh, seeing like we've been here for seven years already, you know, so we are teachers. Uh, I teach sixth grade and I teach
2: fifth grade and that's what we do on the mornings, you know, from like um, eight to four. And then after that, we have our own like um, consulting and speaking company. So firm and we work on that a lot, too. So we do a lot of speaking training for teachers. Um, like coaching and all of those things that we we really enjoy too so um, that's that's what we are uh, what we are passionate about pretty much right
0: excellent so for those of us uh, our audience that is only listening and not watching uh, they are twins um, and you know we've uh, we've only met just to get technology prepped up and stuff but they're super energetic and uh, I'm I'm really just excited to dig in here so I guess I'll just start things off with, you know, why did you make such a, a big move? What was what was the motivation to try out Utah? Did you think it was just going to be maybe a, a short experience and then you would head home? Just, you know, what was that like in terms of making that big leap?
1: So since we were little, we knew that we wanted to live out of Spain, you know. Out not, of Europe. Out guess, of Europe, yeah. not because we don't like Spain or anything, it's because... You know, our mentality is that, like, we felt like if we lived all of our life in the same place, we were missing a lot. You know, we were missing different cultures, different experiences. So, since we were little, we knew that we wanted to just live out of the country. So, like, uh, we were um, studying, you know, our degree back in Spain. And uh, we saw this opportunity, which is like, it's a company, you know, that pretty much takes... spanish students and offer them an opportunity to come to the states but you don't pick where you are going you just send an application you know and then like those applications go to like a, this huge pool of candidates and then uh, school
2: districts go to that pool and pick the candidates so pretty much a non-profit organization that matches like people that want to do like education internships with school districts that are looking for interns <laughs> so it, it was really funny because we sent our application and when we were told where we were going to go to teach, we were told we were going to Syracuse, right? And <laughs> we Googled Syracuse and it took us to Syracuse, New York. So, so we were super excited, you know, okay, college, city, a lot of like, you know, we were young, so we were like, all right, it's going to be crazy, a lot of party, you know, we're going to have so much fun. And then we found out that it was like Syracuse, Utah. Which is like a farmer, uh, like a farming city, you know? So, I mean, we don't have anything against Syracuse, Utah, but it was funny to see, it was really fun to see or to make our mind that we were going to this big city with like a college city with a lot of like, I don't know, party and like, you know, night activities. And then we were sent to Syracuse, Utah, which is pretty much a
1: farmer town so i mean it's great you know we had so much fun and we are still in contact with a lot of people from that community and like uh they were just amazing with us you know they like are uh, very welcoming and everything uh but i don't know it was just funny you know to see the difference between those two places
0: well if it if it makes you feel any better until you told that story i had no idea there was a syracuse uh utah so uh
3: don't feel bad about that one matt probably knew that he's a little bit
0: more uh traveled in the country than that I am
3: that one slipped by me as well
0: so uh, you your work now you that you're you know doing we'll, we'll start with your eight to five uh, teaching fifth and sixth grade you told me when we met last night that it's a it's an immersion school so can you just share with our audience I'm sure there's a lot of people that have not heard of what an immersion school looks like or a fully immersion school and um, and you know how that benefits the students and just what that dynamic looks like
1: so, like, immersion starts in, like, a kindergarten. So it's, like, K-12 to 12 program. So pretty much, like, they start in kindergarten learning Spanish. And then when they go to first grade, they start learning Spanish and using Spanish in other subjects. For example, like, we teach in first grade. I, I used to teach first grade, yeah. Such an adventure. Yeah, that was... I went to uh, from sixth grade to first grade. So, well, <laughs> I have so many stories. In the first day, you know, like... Uh, they didn't know how to do anything. Like, pre- like literally anything. Like, you know, I was used to sixth grade, So I was like, all right, guys, just line up. You know, and then, like, uh, I left the classroom. You know, I, I just walked towards the cafeteria, you know, to get lunch. And I, like, turned around and looked back, and no one was following me. <laughs> so I was like, what is going on? So they were back in the classroom trying to figure out, you know, how to line up. I was like, I called my principal, like, I cannot do this. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I really can't. But... Yeah. Yeah, back to the
2: immersion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. <Back> to <laughs> <the> immersion. <laughs> so pretty much we use the Spanish to teach the subject. So we teach math, social studies, science, and Spanish language arts. All that in Spanish. So pretty much I have a teaching partner who um, she teaches English. So we have two groups: uh, A group and B group. So while I have the A group and I'm teaching some of the subjects in Spanish. She has the big group and she's teaching some of the subjects in English and then we rotate. So pretty much I teach the same lessons on the morning and on the afternoon to two different groups.
1: Yeah. And google es yeah, will up and um, so and then Rosa, Alexa. Um, <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> so, <laughs> And then, like depending on the grade, you know, you teach different subjects. For example, lower grades uh, they don't have a lot of expertise in Spanish, so uh, we teach math in Spanish, you know, because they are numbers. But then, when they get to fourth grade, we switch math for science, you know, because our uh, our students, you know, have you know know they know enough Spanish to be able to learn science, you know. So depending on the grade, we teach different subjects in Spanish or oh, English. Yeah.
3: That makes total sense. And kind of, uh, I've always kind of had this thought that when part of teaching is pulling in the environment that the kids live in, right? So you're obviously, you have a different comfort zone growing up in Spain and then coming over to the States, but you move to Syracuse, Utah, that has so many dynamic features that are specific to where you live. Can you talk about the comfort of merging maybe language and uh, a thrill of learning curriculum, but that kind of maybe learning curve of trying to understand the community and merge those? Because uh, one of the things that I know in fourth grade, we spend so much time talking about our history, our science, things that pertain to us, the idea of moving to a different state, my wife moved from New Jersey to PA. She had to learn PA history, PA geography, PA uh all sorts of different factors, right? I could not imagine what that transition was, not only from country to country, but specific to an environment that's most likely different than where you grew up.
1: It was uh it was a cultural shock for us, definitely. Yeah. You know, even like a we, like, we read about Utah, we read about USA, we read about, like, culture, you know, how everything is, but it was a cultural shock, but it's good, you know, like, cultural shocks are good, you know, like, it's good for us and it's good for our students, you know, for example, when, when we are teaching language, you know, that we are teaching Spanish, we always say that it is completely impossible to speak uh, a language well and well, you know, if you don't understand the culture behind it. You know, I mean, you can, uh, you know, speak a language, but those are just putting words together, you know, just creating a code, you know, like, and then the other person is decoding that. But actually, if you want to be very fluent or even bilingual, you need to understand the culture behind it, you know, what kind of communication in different situations, what you can say, what you can't. So it was the same for us. We didn't speak English, by the way, which is even harder. It was even harder. But you know, just even if we learned that, little, that really Yeah, <laughs> because we couldn't make any mistakes because
2: we knew no <laughs> English at all. So, uh, but it was, it was great for us to actually, it was what we were looking for kind of living in Europe or living in Spain, looking for that kind of learning more about the world, how other people live in different places. And that's what we try to communicate to our students daily in our classes, like Because some of our students, they live in a bubble. They think that the reality they live in is the only reality in the world. Like the way they live in, they live is everyone lives in the same way. So we try to kind of like teach them or explain them that there are like many different ways that people live um, around the world. And there is no right or wrong way. It's just different based on background, culture, language, and all of those things. So I think that... um, Mario was right on point when he said that to be able to speak a language, you need to comprehend the culture behind,
1: uh, kind of like the people behind it. So that was, uh, we wanted to learn English, of course, (laughs) but we needed to understand the culture. We we needed to understand how to communicate so many things that if you don't leave your country, if you don't, you know, like go and live to like USA or, you know, like England, whatever, you are not going to understand it.
3: That makes total sense. And I think... um, you can obviously speak to this better than I can. But as a male teacher, especially in elementary, we we are coveted, right? Like kids love having male elementary teachers by all means. And I know that my kids gravitate towards me just because I'm a male. Um, it just gives me a, a sense of authority or maybe a uh, comfort of a trusted role model. And just different. I, and, and different, yeah. But I would imagine the fact that you are uh, – you have lived a life of what the students in an immersion school are trying to gain has to really wrap kids completely enamored with you. Like not only did you learn Spanish to teach Spanish, you lived in an environment and just exuded all this that must've just been addicting for kids that really wanted to be in that environment. Um, I would imagine advantages. Can you kind of speak to that?
1: Yeah, um, but the only thing about that is, like, students don't realize in sixth and fifth grade yet how powerful a language is. You know, like, how lucky they are that they are learning a new language. You know, we know it because we needed to move here and we struggled a lot, you know, with the language, you know. But they are not... They are, like, they are not... you know like aware of the situation you know of like uh, how lucky they are you know because they are learning a new language you know how many doors that language is gonna open for them in the future you know like like how many opportunities they are gonna have that they couldn't you know like uh, without this language I
2: think the only moment or like just a few moments that they realize how like how powerful is to learn a second language is when they go to mexico or they go to south america or even they go to a mexican restaurant and they try to order in spanish so i think that those little moments are the ones that make them realize how lucky they are how fortunate they are um, learning a second language but yeah like um i think we we are a good role model for them A uh, good uh, kind of like i wish my students could do what we did in the past kind of move to a different country and kind of like be willing to open their mind and learn the culture um behind the language uh open their mind and be kind of be ready and be willing to to try something different since they already speak the language
1: yeah we tell parents you know like uh you're thinking about going to you know like a, a uh, to college, you know, like, uh, just send your student or your kid to, to Spain for college, you know, to Mexico, to another place, you know, it doesn't need to be for four years, you know, but like don't, you know, don't have your students lose that Spanish, you know what I mean? So like they have an opportunity, like we are a perfect example that it works and, you know, it's, it's great, you know, so just think about that. So we talk with parents and we try to encourage them, encourage them as well, you know, so.
3: Yeah, that makes total sense and I just the 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 thought that it has like popped into my head is, right, so they they look to you, they do have that element. Maybe it's in a low-risk environment like you said going to a local restaurant and and trying it out, right? That might be the first key, but I'm sure watching your example leads to, as you mentioned, opening the eyes to the possibility. I'm sure you talk about your story because you're real human beings and you are open with them to say, hey, this is what I did, something they never would have considered or had an example of way beforehand. So I just think that's that's fascinating. And it's really a, a leading by example of, you know what, you found, I wanted to take on this opportunity and we took it on. Here were the trials and tribulations and the preparation that went into it, which is a lesson in its own right. Well, and I I, I feel like
0: it's um, I I think it's much more commonplace for people from Europe, frankly, anywhere outside of America to take bigger risks like that and move greater distances, Um, much less common around here. So I think you're even planting the seed that it's a possibility, that it's actually something they can do. If it weren't for you, they might not even grow up with the idea like that you're allowed to do that. They might not even realize that it is a possibility. So I think it's incredible that you're doing that. What I want you to try to break down for us is so you teach in a very unique, um, you know, experience for students where they're fully immersed in a language with which honestly, I think is just incredible. Um, It's something that I wish I could have done. It's something that I hope possibly my children can do one day. What is something that you could say to every teacher that's listening to this podcast that doesn't teach in that environment? What's something that you feel you approach your instruction with because of being in an immersion school that kind of feeds to the, the style that you teach that isn't typical with regular uh, teaching practices that you think we all can relate to? Uh, does that make sense? Like, what's something different about the yeah, way yeah, you yeah. teach that everyone can pull away? And even in a regular math class, I can, I can take
1: that instructional approach. I think that there are two main ones. One is scaffolding, you know, because you're giving distractions in Spanish. They, they need to complete the activities in Spanish. If you explain to them, you know, like one activity with 25 steps, all of them in Spanish, you know, they're going to get lost. They're going to get lost. And the second one is check for understanding, you know. Like when you are teaching a language or well, when you're teaching a subject in a different language, you know, like uh, you need to check for understanding every five seconds. Like if you like uh, we have our principal coming to our classrooms and they principals or like a superintendent, they always say the same, you know, it's like a they love how all of... Feedback goes both ways, Yeah, immersion teachers, you know, like I just check for understanding all the time and we're asking for feedback all the time, you know, because it's what we need to do because if one student is not with us, you know, like uh, they're practically, yeah, yeah, they're not going to they're not gonna complete the activity, you know, because they cannot maybe they can't go home and read the article or whatever the text by themselves because it's gonna there are gonna be a lot of words that they don't know, you know, so they need to be with us pretty much all the time. And
2: some of them they don't have that parent support that that parent or like um I don't know like cousin or aunt or uncle that speak Spanish. So pretty much all we do, all the instructions, uh everything we want them to fully understand needs to be taught in the classroom you know and also uh, i know you have noticed but we move a lot our, our hands and do we do a lot of movement when we explain things and when we talk and that's why um that's because we speak and try to kind of like uh, explain what we are saying at the same time with a hand movement or whatever because it's the way we are you i mean we use usually teach because we need to um, explain them with with words, but also with like some movements. What we actions. mean actions, repetitions, different things. So, how, how much
3: that, uh, that goes along with it? Yeah, that makes yeah. sense.
0: How much of of the way you're teaching and what you're teaching them? How much of it is built in that you have confidence that they will that they will step up to the plate and learn it and 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 run with it in terms in comparison to kind of. Defining every word for them before you actually start start talking, because I find so often even outside of of what we're specifically talking here with immersion is that teachers teaching algebra in high school or different subjects feel like they have to teach every step of every process in their curriculum before they can kind of open the reins up and let the students run. So I would imagine you have to just let them run from the beginning and, and kind of, like you said, scaffold and check for understanding along the way. So how, how can you pull it away from the language base and kind of run with that that topic more in terms of giving teachers confidence to to open the reins from the beginning instead of feeling like they have to define every single term for the kids?
1: Well, I like we see it as an opportunity to um, – critical thing, you know, to solve problems. And if you think about a language, since they are in kindergarten, these students have been solving problems every, every second, every second, you know, I don't know this word, I need to find another uh, way to say this, you know, like, uh, uh, I want to find this vocabulary uh, word, but I don't know how to say it, you instead of saying car, I can say, you know, like, uh, that, it, that thing that my, that drives, you know, whatever, you know, I have
2: four wheels and normally it's red and it's a Ferrari, you know, whatever. So like they need to kind of explain us the word. So they are solving problems constantly. And one thing that we need to think about a lot when we are teaching a language is like the biggest enemy of a language is that you are afraid of speaking it. Right. So um, there are some students that are they're afraid of making mistakes and we need to take that into account. So sometimes we don't need to correct them that much because we don't want them to be afraid of making mistakes. And then like if we
1: teach you like every single word, every single thing, they're not gonna make mistakes. And like people learn by making mistakes. And that's a fact, you know, the most mistakes you make, the more you learn. And like we tell our students, you are not making mistakes. For example, like I told them, today or yesterday, hey guys, you're not making mistakes, you're speaking fifth grade Spanish, this is sixth grade, I want you to make mistakes, I want you to try new things and to fail, if you are failing, it means that you are learning, you know, like, but if we are super rigid, you know, like, if we have this structure that we teach every single thing, like, we are holding their hands, you know, and just taking them through their learning journey, and they are not going to make mistakes, they are not going to fail, we don't want that, we want them to fail, but, and we want we want us to be there with them, you know, hey, you're you you ha- you're failing, how can I help you? This is how you do it, you know, but if they don't fail, like, they're not going to learn.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's what Mario was saying. We don't
2: want them to use the same 500 words over and over and over. We want them to try new words, new ways to put together sentences, like, kind of, like, making those mistakes because that means they are, like, uh, improving their language because if they are they stick to those 500 words it is good for third fourth grade but w- we want them to step up and make those mistakes by because
1: that's how we truly believe that they are learning but it's not only with languages it's with science with math with everything you're like push push them out of their comfort, comfort zone you know that's where that's where learning happens
0: yeah that's what i wanted to to follow up with is is and correct me if i'm wrong but your school in your district there are schools that are not fully immersed and you're responsible for teaching the same content standards curriculum everything that every other school is so how do you see that risk taking and that that idea of embracing mistakes um, translating into the way you're teaching math or the way you're teaching science social studies whatever those content subjects
2: are i think like i'll i mean It is a great mindset that, to me, more teachers should have. Like, you know, like um, teachers need to learn how to lose power, you know, and put that power on the student, right? Like, um, and by doing that, you are empowering the students to drive their learning. And that's our mindset, like our focus here, right? We want them to make mistakes because they are the ones who are driving their learning. If I tell them what they need to do, they're not going to make mistakes. They're going to repeat what I do, right? So I think that if we can take that mentality to just regular English teachers, uh, like that teach like those subjects, that could be great um, across the district, across the state, across the country.
1: Yeah, and for example, like uh, we are tested, you know. Um, With this exactly same test, everything at the end of the year exactly the same that everyone else in our standardized test standardized test exactly the same. And if you take a look at our results, like for example, like uh, we are like 10, 15 percent higher than our um, the other schools in our own uh, other classrooms in our own school, you know. So it means that we're not better teachers than them, but it means that our students are solving problems, as we said before. Every five, ten seconds. So when they see like a science experiment or a science problem, they're gonna solve it like this. You know, they're gonna go like, "Oh, this is how you do it. I've been doing it since ki- kindergarten. I know how to solve problems. Travel I know how shooting. To, yeah, troubleshooting. I know how to do this. No problem. You know. So like, that's one of the advantages that we have as well. You know, because we are teaching a new language.
3: I think that's super, super important, and the the concept of accepting failure as um, obviously not a stopping point. Um, the The language I've never kind of considered that to be a, a as much of a factor. I just thought it was, hey, maybe it's a different way to learn it. Maybe it's a different way to make connections in the brain. I never thought that that was um, really, yeah, changing the mindset, changing. A, an attitude because I think we all agree that teaching is not checking off standards, it's internalizing instruction and being able to use what you know to make the best possible answer. I don't teach for the science test every single question that I'm going to ask on the science quest. They don't see the reading passage beforehand. It's the idea of, do I have, uh, have I created in my classroom the ability to with an open mind to look at questions and answer them at the best of my ability using skills that we've learned. But I wanna kinda pivot if that's okay. I think it would be selling you guys short if we sat here and said, hey, we work in an immersion language school, it's a high priority of the building in our position. But to be frank, you're doing just great education top level, like what kids need today, regardless of the grade level, regardless of the language barrier, regardless of those type of things that are passion projects for many of us educators. So I just want to kind of pivot away from that one topic and and maybe it's still intertwined, but I know beforehand we were talking about concepts like future-ready and social and emotional learning that I'm sure, again, are intertwined. But I'd love for you to talk about where that passion comes from and what you're actively doing to progress understanding, pulling those features into your day-to-day teaching to probably lead to the, the enhance of student scores beyond just the fact of it being an immersion school.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think our passion comes from (laughs) when we uh, were growing up, we were troublemakers, like, let's be honest. And then troublemakers, we were very active. We were like, we couldn't just be set, you know, for eight hours. So let's say that the traditional uh, school system, education system, we didn't fit in that description of that student who sits in a, who sits in a table, you know, just listens for six hours complete the workbook and then go home we couldn't we needed to just hands on you know just stand up and try this and we were very curious so we got in trouble all the time because we were like what if and he was like yeah let's do it you know <laughs> so we needed to just try things we needed to experiment,
2: experiment with the learning and explore feel the learning right like explore what about what did we do this you know so that's the way we try to teach, the way that we want to um, enhance our students, empower them to learn in that way, empower them to have that curiosity that we, we had in the past. And we already, I mean, we still have, right? Because as you were saying, we are working on a PhD uh, focused on future ready skills. So to me that I am, my PhD is focused on social and emotional learning. To me, um, It is so important right now, right? In the perfect world, in my perfect world, and the EQ will be equal to the IQ, right? We always have this, uh, we always give this great example. If we take the best teacher in the world, like best teacher, like number one, we give him or, or her the best lesson ever. And we give him or her the best students ever. If one or two or three or four students Are not mentally ready to learn. It doesn't matter if he or she is the best teacher, if he or she has the best lesson. They are not going to learn because there is something that is blocking them for learning, from learning, which can be a bad emotion, a bad experience that they are not ready to learn. They are not happy. Something happened at home, or they are feeling that anxiety for something. So we truly think. That teaching our students
1: how to deal with those emotions are key for their future. And then the other future ready skills, we were talking about test, right? Um, we are a little against standardized testing. I'm sorry for this. But like standardized no, testing doesn't is show it. Yeah,
3: we're <laughs> we're on the same boat.
1: It just shows that you you master the content. What about collaboration, communication, what about twenty-first century um, skills, what about critical thinking, what about, and we could go on and on forever. You know, standardized tests is one test about one subject, one day. What in about specific in day. one specific day and a specific time. What about if my A-plus student uh, has been sick for the whole week and she just came back to school? Or oh, she's having some problems at home, their parents are getting
2: divorced. Like those things that we were talking about before are really important. And, and then
1: many, many skills that are not measured in those tests, you know? So as we say like those skills are and we truly believe that in the future skills are going to be more important than content. You know like content is super important of course. You know we need to learn about content. We are not saying that content doesn't need to be taught in the in the in the future, but we what we are saying is that maybe our students are going to need the skills more than the content to be successful in their future work, you know, workplace or whatever. Because like it or not we have Google now we have huge sources of information that we didn't have before we used to memorize in the past because we were covering that need that need in the society we didn't have those you know huge sources of information so we needed to memorize right now we have Google Yahoo we have thousands of things you know that uh, we can get whatever information we want in five seconds so now our focus shouldn't be on content. Our focus should be on many skills plus how we use that content to solve problems. You know, okay, now I have all of this information, most of them fake news or, you know, like fake information. How can I filter this information to be able to solve this problem? That's what it, that's
2: the real world. That's what um, like employees are asked to do nowadays in their, in their jobs, right?
1: Yeah, so that's why, like, we are very passionate about those things, you know, because we truly think that our students and our society will need these things in the future.
0: Yeah, and even just to kind of relate it back to what you said about uh, learning a culture before really learning and applying the language, you know, that's that that's that content piece. You, you get a basic understanding. It's important to know and understand information. You don't have to know all of it because you can search it, but then you can apply those skills and you can more effectively... Use and, and and speak the language when you have an, a basic understanding of that culture. It's the same thing. Like it's important to know basic information about about history or about the solar system or whatever the topic is. But again, it's what do you use with that information? How do you use that to either discover more information, ask more questions, solve more problems? Um, so so I totally I totally agree. Where would you say? where would you say that uh, kind of speaking to EQ and the, and that the idea of social emotional learning, what would you say is something that is really important in that field to help with the other side of critical thinking? Like, is there something that really ties the two together more so than just in generalities?
2: Normally empathy is the one that connects them. Uh, Because like if we are talking about social skills and uh, normally when we are having a conversation or a social interaction we are thinking critically to see how we can interact with that person what kind of words i'm going to use what kind of like actions i can make and um, to make him comfortable right so empathy and critical thinking normally they go hand um, in hand because they they work together when we are making and uh, we are having a social interaction with someone that makes total sense to, to kind of challenge
3: you a little bit. And obviously you've done a lot of research and you, you are preparing kids. I love the concept of preparing for skills, not necessarily content to be able to handle what attributes of your classroom and maybe from your research, maybe from your studies, what tangible things have you brought into your classroom? Like we're recording this for, for me personally in the second full week of school. It's a great time to talk about social and emotional learning. It's a great time to talk about general skills, procedures, how do we do these different things. But in a month from now, I'm gonna be in the thick of learning with the pressure of covering the curriculum. How do I still prioritize or are there certain things that you guys do to uh, incorporate these skills embedded into lessons or in isolation
1: we always say that for example like social emotional learning or STEAM, stem you know STEAM, you know like uh, we kind of like talk about those two because every time we kind of like go to conferences and speak or like visit schools we see how teachers do social emotional learning technology stem they teach those in isolation <coughs> and <coughs> To our mind that is a huge mistake it's great that you have like a social emotional learning day you know every month that is great but it's not going to have a huge impact in, in your students because you're teaching that in isolation one day but if you can get that and put that into your kind of create a routine or kind of connect that with your learning that's how it is super powerful for example like our morning routine Our students get to our classroom on Monday, (coughs) and then we have a schedule. And in that schedule, they have everything they are going to do throughout the week. You know, everything. So after that, uh, they scroll down a little bit, and then they have their weekly goals. You know, they need to set a weekly goal for each subject. Can I pass for a minute? Okay, when we talk about... (laughs) I want to explain this for the people that
2: are listening. When we talk about social and emotional learning... (laughs) There is more than just emotions. We talk about self-regulation, social awareness, all those things that, that are also important in social and emotional learning. And you were talking about
1: self-regulation um, and uh, self-awareness. Right? Awareness. self-awareness so. so thank you so much, because that's a huge misunderstanding, misconception, that social and emotional learning is just emotion, emotions and it, feelings, but it's, it's way more than that. So our students get to our classroom they have uh, their planning for the whole week, their schedule. They uh, set weekly goals, and then those weekly goals for each subject, you know. And those weekly goals need to be smart. So what does it mean to be smart? Like a specific,
2: measurable, timely, uh, accurate. Um, so like pretty much, we teach them how to set up goals every day, and we reflect on those on <laughs> Friday. So those are the weekly goals we set up every Monday, and we reflect on them. On Friday and if they keep scrolling they're going to find the mood meter so the mood meter is this like uh, can be a wheel of feelings we call it the wheel of feelings because it's like every day and they do complete a wheel you know and they have a key that they need to complete so happy angry um, like disappointed like anxious you know and they need to complete with color That's called emotionally granularity. Emotionally granularity is to put emotions into words, in this case, into colors, which is, it's great to see how they match different colors
1: and emotions. So they have this key, and for example, they have happy. And for a student, happy is yellow this week, so they color happy yellow. Then angry, and it's red for them this week, you know? So they complete this key of different emotions, kind of linking those emotions with the the colors. Mm -hmm. And then every day, like in the morning, they need to color, you know, like a, that, uh, that day, how they are feeling. You know, for example, Monday, I feel happy. Tuesday, I feel angry. You know, whatever. And then on Friday, w- when they reflect, you know, on the goals. weekly goals, they also talk about their emotions. They also talk about their mood meter, their will of feelings. So if uh, their videos, we use flip it, would be something like, okay, Monday, I felt angry. And then I didn't meet this goal, you know, for example, I felt angry or anxious on Monday. And I uh, that day we needed to take a test and I my test, I got 20%. you know, Because I was not feeling good. Because weird. I was not feeling good. So we are asking them as well to match emotions with academic performance, you know, because we want them to realize how their emotions are affecting their academic performance. Plus, it's a way to track <clears throat> their emotions. Sometimes we have a lot of... And students who are suffering in silence, they're anxious, you know, they're doing whatever and they're not going to come to you, you know, and say, hey, you know, uh, I have this problem or I'm struggling. But if they color, you know, in a wheel of feelings, you know, how they are feeling, if you keep track of that that's for a month that's or for important. two months, you know, you can identify those students who are struggling and can talk with your counselor with their you know, um, psychologists or in, whatever. That's
2: important. And we track it for a long time. <clears throat> if one student is having one bad day, don't call the counselor, please. You know, we are looking for those patterns, kind of like they fluctuate. Those are emotions. Like even as an adults, our emotions fluctuate constantly. We have good days, bad days. We are looking for those patterns that are telling us some things. And also something really, really easy that everyone can use tomorrow in their in their classes can be, for example, we are reading a story and normally we focus on what happened in the story, right? Like, where this story took place. What about if we now focus on the main character feelings? Like, um, um, how do you think that the main character was feeling while this was happening? How do you think that the, this, like, this guy I was feeling when he saw this happening? Like, you know, like talking about other characters' feelings in the story, it's really important for that social awareness that we are looking to, to develop in our students.
0: That's a, I, I love that that you just that share, shared. Um, when I was teaching Revolutionary War, Civil War in fifth grade, we would do different simulations and we would look at how it connected to the content. But I would also have them reflect on how they felt in that battle simulation because I wanted them to remember that it was it was people that were fighting these wars and they had feelings they and you know that pressure that anxiety how scared they felt all those things you know trying to tie in that empathy i think is is something that actually doesn't take a lot of effort it just takes some forethought and the more you do it the more you see those those opportunities to slip in um i I really like that that wheel idea and like you said if you have a student that has one bad day don't don't call a counselor but at the same time if it's a student that is always happy and that one day it's red for angry or blue for sad or whatever, you know, you that might be a red flag to just check them and say, hey, what's going on? Are they going to share anything? Because it might be something really bad that one day because they're typically always so happy. And, and, and you talked about it earlier where they're not going to learn. If there's something going on at home, if there's something going on really weighing on them emotionally, they're they're not going to learn. I can remember I had these three girls in, in my class one year that were best friends they did they wanted to do everything together they were always happy always upbeat always positive positive. and within the first 20 minutes of school i could tell that something was going on because they were avoiding each other i had them work together at one point and like one of them left the group and so i pulled them out we talked in the hallway and i, I i'm not exaggerating i think they took two hours to settle the problems that they had i was going in i was checking on them but they're mature enough to kind of have the conversations themselves they came back they were fine and they're and they're still friends years later and i had parents thanking me for it because one they almost you know they settled their friendship in that moment but two i knew they would not have learned a single th- thing from me the entire day they were too upset to to comprehend anything that i was going to try to teach them that day so anytime you can you can do that i think is so important i think a teacher hearing that even if they love the idea because this is the way a lot of teachers think, and there's nothing wrong with that, is how do I have time for that? How am I going to find time to do something like that? Once you get those routines set up with your students on setting the goals, filling out their emotions, um, the chart, doing the flip grids, how much time does it take? Does it? I'm going to guess it doesn't take a lot, but why don't you, why don't you share that with us?
2: I mean, like, I'm not going to lie. At the beginning, it takes a lot because it's routines. It is – but – I mean, we always recommend to take a long time at the beginning because that's going to prevent you from losing or wasting time every single week from now on until the end of the year. I mean, it's like basic routines, right? You work a lot on the beginning because you don't want to repeat the same routine or like repeat the same things over and over and over the whole year, right? So that's this is like a, a routine, a procedure we use so they know that Uh, first thing they need to do is get the computer, open OneNote and check their, do their uh, Wheel of Feelings, do their weekly weekly goals and be ready for that. Are you guys doing
3: this as well with your students? And is it kind of uh, in front of kids? I assume you model it at the beginning of the year, but are you doing something similar and expressing those? um, I could imagine the goals almost looking like essential questions in a lesson. Um but i'm I'm just interested to see how much of your own um kind of background and feeling do you pull into your classroom to again make connections with kids
1: That's a great question that's a great question because I we mean it's the key of it yeah, right? we always say that uh, you cannot ask a student to be polite if you are yelling at him right so like uh, you need to set an example so this is the same like we share our feelings for example, like we go to. We uh, can go to our class and say, hey, guys, you know, today I didn't sleep well or today something happened at home. You know, we don't say what, you know, we don't tell them, uh, you know, what is going on, but say, but we tell them, hey, uh, we are, I am very sad today. You know, something happened, I don't know. My mom is in the hospital. I don't know, whatever, you know. That or I'm anxious because tomorrow I have this test I need to pass, you know, for my masters, whatever. We share those emotions with them, and I think that and is. And we ask for help, like. And we ask for help, like, hey guys, can you help me today? You know, like, a, I'm, a, you know, like, I need help because I'm struggling today. So that is great, you know, because when they are feeling bad, they are having those problems. They're gonna follow your example. They're gonna come to you and say, hey. Today I'm struggling. Maybe they don't tell you why, you know, but all you need to know is that they are struggling and they ask for help because they've seen you doing that, you know. And then like a huge mistake that we've seen is that there is this taboo, you know, around emotions that people just don't talk about emotions. But in our society... Our society in general, yeah. it's not just teachers, you know. So when like we as teachers go there and say, hey guys, I'm struggling, I need help, they are like... Oh, wow, Like he's a person. You know what I mean? He struggles too. He has bad days. So when they're having a bad day, they're, com- they're going to come to you and say, I need help. And like we have many and many and many examples of that throughout the years. You know, like how our students have help- asked us for help. You know, like not only like, hey, I don't understand mm-hmm. this math concept. No, it's more like, hey, so this happens during the weekend, you know, <clears throat> I need help.
3: And that's what we got into teaching for, to to help kids. Uh, it doesn't always have to align to curriculum. And I think sometimes we lose sight of it. We have these external pressures, like the kids have these external pressures of what they need to do that um, can quickly t- swoop us up. And, and almost like a tornado, we get so focused because everything, our whole world, all of those responsibilities really take over um, and you forget what, what matters most, which is, goes back yeah. to connection and, and what uh, you guys I, said earlier.
1: I can remember like one case that, you know, like, um, we, we it, have had both yeah, this. History. Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking yeah. What I'm going to talk about, you know, like she just came to me and say, Hey, uh, I am Senor Mario, you know, Hey, Senor Mario. Um, you know, something happened during the weekend, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I don't think I'll be able to learn today. You know, I am very sad. So like, uh, Something happened during the weekend. Every single weekend, you know, for different reasons. Well, yeah, every like, other weekend. Every other weekend, yeah. And then, like, uh, so, like, we talked. Um, I talked with a counselor. She didn't want to talk with a counselor. Didn't talk. Didn't want to talk with anyone. So I ended up meeting with her from thirty to one hour. You know, every Monday. You know. After this, uh, but I didn't know that that was going on, you know, like he was the one who came to me and say, I am struggling, you know, like this is happening at home, you know, like uh, I need your help. So I don't think that uh, would have been possible if, you know, like uh, we didn't have this approach, Alberto's approach because he had her in fifth grade and, you know, like uh, I had her in sixth grade. I think
2: like a long... Long-term thing, right? You cannot expect your kids to to open their hearts the first day you do something like this, right? Um, so it's like a long-term approach that uh, we have two years for that, yeah.
3: which is a, a huge ass uh, kind of yeah, valuable. and. I,
0: yeah. and- I'm, I'm, in, I'm in your camp on this one. I mean, this was by far the most important thing to me as a classroom teacher. Um, I know I keep playing the, the time card and the curriculum card. It's, it's one, because I think it's an important conversation. I, I see it more in my position now with those pressures of, of curriculum as an instructional coach, but I just want to hit on what you said when you spend time on this, when you spend time on teaching procedures and routines, which we already do, you know, but when you add this component of the social emotional learning, you're going to buy back tenfold the time throughout the year because you're gonna have your kids with you more, they're gonna be engaged more, they're gonna be learning more. Um, so I, lo- I love how you, you said about that, you're really front-loading your time and, and preparing your class to, to, just, to just move better as a group, to learn better as a group, to, to stay connected. Uh, so kind of transitioning into that, I want to jump into our lesson lens because I am super excited to see how the two of you attack this together, um, knowing that you guys you guys pair off as, as fifth and sixth grade. Uh, Mario, do you feel do you feel the pressure like being the second year of, of the E twins as, as you have branded yourself? Um, have you always been behind him in a grade level or has it been only been like that for a couple of years?
1: Uh, I think that you know, like uh, students are super happy to get me after one year of waste, you know <laughs> you made, <laughs> they actually made me for school after like
0: <laughs> you made it forty nine no, minutes without like, without uh, making fun of each other. so that's to me that's pretty yeah. impressive. Was, having, we having almost, a brother we almost myself
2: made it. <laughs> yeah. we almost made
1: it, but it was longer than usual, I've gotta say so, yeah. all right, so uh, i I think. That, I do the easy job, to be honest. You know, when I get my students, I mean, like, I need to continue that. But Alberto, he's like, he's taught them. You know, like, he established those routines. He established those that culture, that culture, the environment. You know, so I just need to kind of like continue. And of course, I'm gonna make it more complex. You know, because it's sixth grade. You know, like, a, it's just different. You know, but I do the easy, the, 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 the work, to be honest.
3: Well, and that almost kind of pairs. That? I'm not yeah. gonna repeat it. <laughs> That almost partners really well with what you guys are studying in your PhD, right? Like in one area, hey, I need to get everyone emotionally ready for learning and then they move on to another year and it's what skills do I need to be a functioning adult in this new world that we're living in? Yeah, I think that's a a great tag team partnership you guys have
1: yeah Yeah, definitely we always say that can you imagine if like the whole school was doing this you know like from kindergarten to sixth grade that'd be just amazing matt Matt and i have, have
0: talked about that so many times where you see those teachers that really just go above and beyond whether it's you know their their integration of the social emotional learning technology critical thinking whatever but just those teachers that really take it one step further in doing something that they're super passionate about that really benefits students and just thinking like Man, what if they could have a teacher like that every year? You know, what what would those kids turn into? What would they be able to to untap that that's inside of themselves?
3: Um, so or even even the benefit of the seventh grade teacher that gets the benefit of two years right. of great learning experience, they get to jump off and just fly with them, which is yeah. really outstanding absolutely so uh we do have you know somewhat
0: of the standard questions that we ask with our lesson lens but um depending on on where you take us we'll, we'll roll with the punches here so question number one is are we looking at a unit o- overview a long-term project or a single lesson uh, which one
1: do you want to i would I, say like the you, building as, no the other one well can we share two <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah you, absolutely you, you can yeah like, we, like, we every year do, like, a big project. You know, like, a two-month, Long-term three-month program. project. Yeah. Together.
2: Sorry. So, my favorite one is building smiles. So, that was when
1: Mario was teaching first grade. His favorite year, right? And I mean, I, 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 that was super fun. You know, like, sixth grade, you're the bad guy-ish. First grade, you are their hero. You do no wrong. You know, like you do everything right. They love you so much. They
2: even argue with their parents.
1: Like, you are right. right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I had students going home, and their parents were like, "No, this is not possible." And my students were like, "No, no, Mario is right. He cannot, you know, like he cannot be wrong. Like he's completely right." So, yeah, I that, taught second nice. grade. So, it's the
0: best. That is, that makes it the best thing in the world. In, in that in that standpoint, like you are you're you're very close to God in 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 their eyes. When they're, yeah, yeah. When they're yeah. When they're super teacher learners. in first or second grade. All right, so do we know what direction we're going at? Because I think we just threw out like three different ideas.
2: Yeah, 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 building a smile. Okay. So, pretty much, um, so we partnered up, so we did the whole year what we called Steam Buddies. So pretty much my sixth graders went down once a week to first grade. And we partnered up and we introduced different tools for them to learn. We introduced free grid to them. We introduced
1: different like Minecraft. Uh, Minecraft. We introduced a lot of things. with Steam deep... projects, analogic, you know, like nothing techno- like uh, technological, just like uh, how to solve problems, steam challenges, stuff like that.
2: We did a lot of things together. That was a really fun year. We, we loved it, like working together. And just watching the 6th graders uh, helping the 1st graders to solve problems. That, that was awesome. So to end the year, we wanted to do something big, a big project. A service project. A service project. We always do service projects, so we tend to do service projects. So for this, uh, we partnered up with WE Schools, which is a non-profit organization. And they have different like, villages around the world. Like They serve different communities that are in need. So for this, what we did is like Mario's students they wrote uh, no my students wrote um, a a book in Spanish a, a story like a a chapter book and Mario's students what they did they just like did the pictures of they, the, the, the book, drawing of the, book. the drawing of the book which was really really um, cute to well, see well,
1: like going back a little bit my students were learning about ecosystems you know so like uh, a part of that learning was that a virtual student taught my students about like a uh, vocabulary words about ecosystems animals uh, you know plants mm-hmm. stuff like that so they needed to write a book about like a an animal you know an animal and an ecosystem like that and then my students did a drawing after that, they got into Minecraft and they created the main character of the story on Minecraft. Which was an animal. Which was an animal. And then we 3D printed them. So at this point, they have like a book and a toy that went with the book, right? Because it was the main character. And after that, we did like an audio book on Flipgrid that we put a QR code in the, in the back, back part, in the back part of, the, of the book. And then they created a video game, an adventure mode in Minecraft as well. Which went with the uh, book. With the book. So at this point, we had the book and two, two, two our, uh, QR codes at the back with the video game and the audiobook and then the toy. And like we wanted to donate this to someone, but we needed to find like a community that spoke Spanish, Spanish right? Because like the books were in Spanish. So like we partnered up, as Alberto said, with we schools that they have uh, like a a village in um, Haiti, even they speak French, but it's so close to the uh, Dominican Republic, you know, so like they had a lot of like a Spanish population. And we sent all of that to uh, to that village, you know, with their help, we shaped that.
2: And I remember like two months later, we got pictures of like, the, those kids opening their books and playing with those toys. And I still remember the day, do you remember? Yeah. We were, we were like eating breakfast with our parents that
1: flew in from Spain. To spend Christmas with us, um, that was the best Christmas gift, honestly. Yeah. Like, and then like the reaction of our students, because sometimes you do like a service projects, but they don't see the impact that they are making, you know. But when we got those pictures back, you know, they saw the smile on those kids' faces, you know, and they saw that they were making an impact, you know, that they were, you know, just like yeah. helping other um, students on the other side of the world, you know, very far away, like. Their reaction was like we even had students like oh my goodness I, I want to keep doing this you know we mm. need to find uh, another organization or another way to be able to help other people. And
2: if someone is interested in learning more about building smiles, I think it just search on Twitter and the hashtag building smiles, and we tweet out the whole process since we start steam buddies all the way to the final pictures of the students um, in high tea, like playing and reading those books. Yeah. Man, oh man! From from not being able
3: to get kids to come out of the hallway in a line to being published illustrators and giving gifts—pretty <laughs> yeah. good stuff, I guess. Uh, kind of shifting from that, Mario. Did, I, I could imagine they, when they saw the photos, they understood what they did and maybe the grandeur of what they did. Alberto, did they recognize? Since you had older students, did they recognize any sooner? the value did it click with them the service the joy that they would be creating which would lead to intrinsic motivation um and also i guess i'll I'll also pair in not the big picture but what did the first grade learners provide to the sixth graders in skills what was that learning experience like for them because we can obviously tell a sixth grader can guide a younger kid um, but i'm sure there's also exchange equally between the two
2: I think that they they did, they kind of like recognize what they, they did, the impact they made, but it was right after seeing those pictures, right? Because like at the beginning or throughout the project, we were telling them, all right, we are doing this for this community. We are doing this to help these kids out. But I think they couldn't picture. I couldn't picture it. You know, I couldn't uh, see the big picture until I saw the pictures. And I, I think that that happened to them too, that realized that they actually made a great impact on that community, providing those kids with books that they didn't have, with toys that they didn't have. And they had a lot of students that they didn't know how to read. So that's why we put the audiobooks books there for them. So until they didn't see that that was real, right? They couldn't. They couldn't figure out that that they were making making an impact. But after that, it was
1: just like just by watching their faces was 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 working. It. it wasn't. I mean, like we talk about service learning, but it was about content and curriculum as well. Sixth grade, they were learning Spanish. They wrote a book. They uh, read the the book because they needed to do the audio book. You know, first graders, They learned about ecosystems, vocabulary, uh, how to solve challenges. You know, how to create like a 3d model that that is very important as well you know like uh, for first graders you know and then sixth graders like uh they benefited from all of that plus they were teaching what they knew to their first graders like if you have never done this as a teacher we highly recommend it like have your th- your students teaching what they learned to other students or to other person and you're gonna see how like uh, that content whatever they are teaching, it clicks and it sticks on them, you know, because they are teaching that to other person. Well, yeah, you have to go ahead,
3: Matt. Sorry. It's so I have just a minor example. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big gap, like first and sixth grade. I had my fourth graders be the ones that taught the third graders introduction to area and perimeter and surface and, and those type features because they were mastering the skill in fourth grade but it was only introduced in third grade and the depth that the third graders learned it from their peers or close to their peers made a wild difference in their understanding as opposed to here's a formula fill it in here's another formula fill it in now all the blanks are filled it makes a huge difference
0: yeah I was I was gonna reiterate that and just say that the when the students know they're expected to teach others, not only do you need to have an understanding of the skill obviously to teach, but just that pressure like they they feel that pressure of like all right it's it's on me. I need to step up for these kids. And you know when things like that go on long enough, Matt, you do that for I mean just in your case third to fourth grade. the next year you do that those third those fourth graders you have, are going to remember the experience as third graders and be more motivated to do a better job because they want to support those now current third graders just as much. So when you guys when you guys reflect back on that project and and everything that you were able to layer in throughout the process and and have the students create, what do you think was key in your role in really bringing out the success of the students throughout that project, maybe from the first grade perspective and the sixth grade perspective kind of separately?
1: From the first grade perspective, I think that, uh, I said it before, but just scaffolding, you know, like uh, you really need to, you know, just give it to them in pieces, you know, like uh, different steps very slowly, you know, because you're asking a uh, first grade student to do like this massive uh, project, you know. And I would say that one thing that we did very well is take, like, a step by step. You know, like, uh, we didn't start our project thinking about the final result. We started, like, okay, today we need to do this. Let's focus on this. Tomorrow we're doing this. Let's focus on this. Instead of just focusing on the final result, you know, because, like, if you're trying to have first graders to do all of this at the same time, you know, or, like, to do, like, this massive uh, Project, it you know the first couple weeks or whatever like they're gonna get overwhelmed you're gonna stress out you know like it's gonna be just a mess it's not gonna work you know just for first-graders or lower grade just take it easy you know just take day by day step by step and don't think about how the final result is going to look like just focus on what you're doing right you know in that moment and also I think one
2: one thing that we did well was we trust our students right Um, I believe that students can do way more things than the things that we think they can do. You know, we many times underestimate what a student can accomplish. I completely agree. We underestimate what a first grader or even a sixth grader can do you know like we need to push them to be better we need to push them out of the comfort zone we need to trust them they can do it and if they cannot i'm there with them to help them out but we don't need to underestimate what they can accomplish and i think that was one of the main things that uh, make this project successful mm-hmm.
3: i think can't uh, say both that of those yeah both of those parts are massive i think we we love the idea of service projects or even big unit projects in education it feels like we put a nice bow on all the learning that we've done all year long and it kind of represents all those things Um, but it's very very overwhelming and i'm you've already taken a service project to an incredible degree i guess to ask this question like i i assume the success, and honestly, that Christmas gift, I imagine more so seeing those pictures was the excitement to show your kids those pictures was even better than you seeing them yourself. What has that taught you about that kind of open mindset of new projects and what you consider as future projects? Because I'm sure as creative individuals, you don't just rinse and repeat the same project over again, but speaking to their level of, What do I expect of them? And can they do more than what I'm giving them credit for? What is your evaluation when trying to do another service project or other projects at different times of the year?
2: I think one thing that I want want to clarify, so it was a Christmas gift because it took forever to send um, those uh, to Haiti. So we finished them actually in end of April, May ish. And then we wait all the summer, and we were like uh, it's not gonna make it. The box is not gonna make it you know and then like um because we uh, ship it to the uh, to the nonprofit organization which is based in Toronto, Canada, and they took it there in the next trip that they had planned, which was like around November, so that's why um, I just want to like uh, clarify those those things.
1: absolutely mm-hmm. so I would say that um. I lost what I was going to say. Sorry, <laughs> you interrupted me. The, the question,
3: just just to restate it and give you a moment, is just like we we are looking for these projects that get us excited the moment we wake up to run to school and start them. I think that's what we all look forward to. What is your your thought process, your evaluation? How is how is the success of this example opened your mindset to trying something new with kids that? you know, is not only just cu- curricular, but also could change a kid's perspective of their year with you.
1: How like, well, like we did another project, like it's called design the future. And then like, we did that project, you know, because of building smiles, you know, because like one of the things that uh, we hear um, a lot of teachers to talk about or education leaders or whatever is like a real world problems you need to bring to your classroom real world problems actually we're not bringing real world problems you why like yes we are solving problems but those problems you know are not real world like you are fake solving, real world they world. are fake real world problems right like you are actually solving problems that are not going to make any impact in the outside right Yeah. so like uh, and we were doing that in the past you know as alberto said solving fake real world problems but with this project we started to s- solve real real world project you know and problems problems. and then you can think that there's no difference with that but the difference is huge the impact that you are making in your students you know it is huge because they are seeing they are realizing that they can make that change you know so like from now on every like from that moment every project we've done like it was a real real world problem we partnered up with organizations we partnered up with companies we like we did several things, several different projects, and everything was focused on, okay, this needs to be real world. You know, my students need to solve those problems that out that are out there, you know, and they need to be real. So that difference is huge. And we realized of that difference <clears throat> when we did this project. And something that we realized during those projects was
2: like, we need to ask for help, right? Um, we love to partner up with organizations that can provide as something that we cannot achieve by ourselves, right? For example, um, this Building Smiles, we partnered up with We Schools because we are, were looking for communities that were in need of those materials, but we couldn't find them. So we reached out to a community partner to find those um, communities. We did another project but with, with like, uh, we partnered up with a school um, furniture company to kind of build a piece of furniture. Uh, it was a really cool
1: project too. Super amazing. And it was in their
2: catalog, actually. They, they built it for us. Our it's students real.
1: built, like, created, designed that piece of furniture, and it is now in their catalog. That's
2: you know? so cool. So like,
1: and, yeah. Uh, well, we can talk more about that probably later, but, like, it's pretty much like they are designing, you know, something that is real. Actually, like, uh, we got a piece of that furniture that it is in our school right now, But if they want that furniture for their house, they can go there and buy it, you know. So that is real, you know, real world situations. And it's really important that, as I was saying, there are many
2: things that we cannot accomplish by ourselves. Just reach to a community partner, a partner that can give you something that you cannot accomplish by yourself. And that's something that we have learned in the last, like, four or five years since we started to, to develop this project. It's like, there are many people that are willing to help, many people that love to work with the schools. So what about if we bring those people to our classrooms and those people are going to help us to take this project to the next level?
3: I think that's really wise. And I think the, the one thing that I'll add is, we as educators get construction paper cards all the time. Business owners and community members don't, and it means the world to them, and you're not going out and asking for money, you're just asking for their expertise, their time, their perspective, and 12, 15, 20-some thank you cards is more than enough currency to make all their time worthwhile. I think that's another perspective, as us educators feeling obligated, like, do I need to send anything... they love a heartfelt thank you.
0: Yeah, 100% in it. And what you're saying really ties full circle back to what you started with about solving a thousand problems a day your kids are doing. You guys are solving problems and you're modeling that again with, we don't have the ability to find these partners that we need or these schools that we're trying to reach. So you're solving problems by using your resources and finding organizations that can kind of help leverage that for you. So I think that's that's incredible that you're you're modeling that as well. So I don't want to cut this conversation off at all because I am having a blast, but I do want to try to be a little bit cognizant of our time. So I want, to, I want to turn into the exit ticket, which is our same four questions that we ask all our guests every week. And so you both can answer it together separately, however you want to do it. Question number one, what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better?
1: Care about him or her. And then make them to have fun. No, make them excited to come to school. Both together? Yeah, perfect.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's
3: a great answer. Uh, the next one is what's the best advice that you've received? And it could be from a colleague, uh, a supervisor, or even a student. Oof.
1: Um, oh, that's a good one. I, will, I would say that whatever you do, do it 100%. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know like uh you know like i just don't start a project go big or go home <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. don't start a pro- don't start a project don't start something like a job or whatever you know if you're not going to do it 100 percent, every single thing that you do you need to give that 100 percent attention to that job student class whatever
0: awesome thank you so the school year goes in waves we have stressful times typically around report cards conferences back to school nights where things really pile up on us as classroom teachers. So what is something that you want to say to every teacher in that moment to help them power
2: up? I think like all we do is worthy. Like we are truly making a difference in those students' lives. Like we truly are making a difference in our future society so all the work we put in, all the stress we need to handle, all the long nights, all the crappy emails we get, all those are worth it because we are changing so many students' lives.
1: And I don't know about you, but like all of those is like uh, days and bad days or whatever, like they go away when you get like a card from one of your students. You Thank you so much for teaching me. You know, something like that. It's super worth it. Those like... The good moments are always way worth it and way better than the bad moments
3: so the last question for you guys, and I know you mentioned it earlier, but I have to watch you to talk about life but also education is really in very very addicting like i'm I'm ramped up ready to get after it i'm I'm envious of your partnership um How can our audience continue to stay connected with you? To, to follow along on these great projects, other opportunities that you're presenting as you're doing some incredible things.
1: So we are on social media, um, you know, like uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and then we have a YouTube channel that we talk about education, but it's in Spanish. So for those Spanish speakers, on our webpage, uh, like um, eTwins.com. We have a
2: calendar there that we well, not yet.
1: We're rebuilding the website. Will be, you it's know, it's a spoiler.
2: No one knows about it, but it will we, go.
1: It will go live next week. So we have a calendar there with our upcoming events. We have a blog as well. Like uh, we talk in the blog, and we have guest writers every month as well in the blog. You know, so it's not only us, and we talk about different topics. And
2: so there are like over fifty some blogs uh, that we talk about. All we have been talking here, but uh, kind of like are what how we teach in our classes and how why we believe all all the things we believe in tools that we use and all of that
0: awesome thank you so much this is this has been a blast i was excited about digging into this uh especially after we met last night to to test technology out and everything you guys are your true inspiration your school is is super lucky to have you the thought of of students going through both of your classrooms uh, one year after another is just just sounds like an incredible experience, and everything that you guys you guys do, the efforts that you make, the experiences that you create are are going to change their lives forever. They're going to be more apt to thrive and survive in this world, and, and really make a difference. So thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thank you so much for everybody that is tuning in and listening to us. Uh, any details that you want to find their social media handles, their websites, everything will be all linked up in our show notes page, which can be found at power edu up.com slash show 38. And we will be sure to have everything there for people to access and, and stay connected with you guys. And, and I hope that we, uh, we keep our circles uh, crossed as well, because I, I would definitely love to stay connected with you guys and, and be more involved. So thanks again. And Matt, why don't you
3: take us on out of here? All right. Alberto and Mario, you have definitely left us feeling powered up as we power down this episode. Um, Everyone, hopefully you're doing well, staying healthy and happy um, and make tomorrow a great day. Um, It is a great opportunity to be in the position we're in. So be good and we'll talk to you guys next week.